This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest wi-fi access for customers bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back hello and welcome to the red box politics podcast in the times i'm matt jolly this is a special recorded at the conservative party conference in manchester I'm delighted to be joined by alice thompson hugo rifkin and this is daniel finkelstein In the next three weeks, the Prime Minister of Great Britain could end up resigning, could end up defying the law and taking to the courts, could end up extending when he said he would die in a ditch. But what really matters politically is whether any of these actions land as an act of strength or an act of weakness and incompetence. And upon that, much of the success of the Prime Minister and of the Conservative Party rest. So, Danny, which of those do you think is the most likely? Or does it matter less which happens and more how he handles it. What matters most is whether what he does seems to people as the act of a strong Prime Minister who's in control of the situation. Because the truth is, in all those three options, he isn't really in control. He isn't in control of the courts. He isn't in control of the parliamentary majority. uh, And if he resigns, he wouldn't even be in control of Downing Street. People could see this as a defiant Prime Minister setting out for his objective. We're going to leave on October the 31st. We know the Prime Minister is committed to that. If he's thwarted, he's thwarted by other forces. It wasn't his fault. But it could also look as, well, the guy promised he would leave on October the 31st and now he hasn't been able to manage that. That'll definitely be the case if he does extend, by the way. But any of these other options, you know, if he were to find, as one senior cabinet minister assured me he would, he simply can't ask for an extension, so he has to resign. Will that look like somebody who is defying, you know, his own office, he's resigning his own office, the thing that he's aimed for all of his political career, just in order to achieve what the electorate wants? Or will it look like a flop? Uh, and somebody who is lost the control of the situation. And because we don't know that, it's very difficult to know what the politics really will be of the next month. We know uh, that at the moment the Conservative Party has got a better split of its vote on the right than the left has. The left sort of split in half, where the right is split two-thirds a third uh, between the Brexit Party and the Tory Party. But that could change if he looks like he's not a strong leader. Now, Danny, were the Prime Minister to resign, how does that work? Does he remain as Tory leader, let someone else become Prime Minister, ask for the extension, and then, what, he fights the next election? Absolutely, that would be his intention. So the idea would be, Jeremy Corbyn, you want the extension, I'm not willing to ask for it, and therefore I have to resign. You can see that it's a very risky course of action, and it could easily look as though he'd lost control of the situation. It could easily not look like an act of strength. 
But what are these other options? If he brings back a deal, of course that is what he wants. Uh, he might bring that back. And by the way, that could be seen as surrender or as a diplomatic coup. And we don't know which of those two it will be. If he doesn't succeed in doing that, and I really don't think defying the law is going to work after the Supreme Court judgment. And if you listen to what lawyers are saying about the tightness of the Ben Act, if he can't do that, then... What is he going to do, right? If you think, well, what he'll end up doing is asking for that uh, extension and pretending it wasn't anything to do with him, I think that will not be seen as an act of strength. And that really could change the whole terms of the political situation and the relationship between the Conservative and Brexit party votes. Alice, all this sort of depends on Boris's reputation as a salesman, which gets talked about more often than we see it in action. Do you think he's capable of turning... I mean, all of these options are potentially quite fraught with danger for him. Is he capable of turning that round? I think, actually, Dan's completely right, because what happens is he's using language that has to make him sound strong. So he's sounding not statesmanlike at all, actually. He's sounding very bullish, very hard, very masculine. It's all about war. It's all about getting things done. And I think that's because he has been told, and he knows that's what he's got to do. He's got to sound like he is on the right foot that he is taking it forward, that he's completely in control, when we all know that he's not. He can't use loose, relaxed language. And that's what he's good at. He's good at the funny anecdote, the joke. He's really bad at this lead-from-the-front type action, the sort of charge of the light brigade. You know, he, he just can't do it, actually. As much as he'd love to be able to do it, and he thinks he can do it, and he thinks he's very churchill, and he's not at all. So what you end up getting is this language that alienates a lot of women um, but he thinks makes him look stronger. What I think is amazing is sitting here, I mean, listening to you both and just Danny talking about, and Danny who, you know, knows the Conservative Party as well as anybody alive, thinking what's going to happen and frankly not knowing. What, what's the plan? What, what's, what's Johnson going to do? Not knowing. We're in a conference here. Everybody's delighted. This is a happy, upbeat conference. It's kind of like... Is it that? It's, it, well, it, I mean, it is. It seems to me, it, it seems to me to be upbeat. People, people are excited. It's like the ballroom on the Titanic except they put up this banner that just says, don't sink, and everyone's rallying around it. You know, it's like, I mean, you can't send reporters to places like this. You need to send psychologists to places like this. <laughs> I do not know what everybody here thinks they're cheering for. I, I, I mean, there's, there's, there's no, even if there is a plan, no one knows what it is, and yet they're happy. This place is crazy. I mean, it's in denial. I mean, it's not cheerful, but it feels like it's in denial that people are just thinking... Well, you know, nothing that happens here matters because in three weeks' time, the fate of the Tory party, the government and the country will be decided. But it's defiant. No, I, I, find, it, I find it upbeat. It's, it's defiant, although God knows what about and to what end. Is, <laughs> that, that, I mean, is, that, is, that, is that unfair? Is that no, wrong? I don't think it's unfair. I, I, I think you're even, right. Even actually. the psychologist bit. <laughs> no, I think it's not unfair, um, actually. And, and I think the reason why I should be good at explaining it is because consistency and commitment is a very strong psychological features. So people who, uh, that's one of the reasons why if you start someone with a small commitment, it can grow and grow. And this is the reason why people who, who started Remain can now persuade themselves it's a good idea to just simply cancel the referendum mm-hmm. and revoke. And people who started Leave are ready to leave without a deal. Both positions that are the beginning, they would neither of them have countenanced. Um, so what is making people happy here is the feeling that the leadership and they are in harmony. And, and actually another very interesting feature of this conference isn't, isn't just the happiness. It is the disconnection between a party that is fundamentally still the one that David Cameron led in mm. terms of lots of social announcements, in terms of lots of its style, embracing a, um, a, a Brexit that is at the far end. But it, uh, and it's very interesting, that disconnection. But isn't it staggering that they're in harmony, but they don't know what they're in harmony about? That's what I'm finding so difficult. Well, no, they... they 
do, I think, actually. So that, that's where I do slightly disagree. There are a group of people who want a, uh, to leave with a deal if necessary, but they're content with a, with a no-deal Brexit. As you know, I am not. So I'm not in sympathy with that mood. But if you, are, if you believe that there are no terrors in a no-deal Brexit and that the leadership, it's all right for the leadership to be in favour of that, well... Uh, but they don't know if the leadership is in favour of it. Right. Well, they know the leadership is in favour of it, but what they don't know, and this is where you are correct, is whether the leadership has any chance of delivering it. So there is a, you're right in thinking there is an illusion of control. Um, I think more interesting than looking at the psychology of the, the actual the delegates here is look at the psychology of the people in Downing Street and how they're working. There's a brilliant clip today of Boris walking along and he's got a coffee cup. He's handed it by one aid and another one takes it away. And I think that shows that they're both really angry with each other and they're really <laughs> fraught and everyone's really worried and really concerned. And it shows that in Downing Street they really are terrified of what's going to happen next. But there is, it's sort of weird that on the one hand they are you feel like they're hurtling towards this great unknown thing have they really got a plan for brexit deal have they got a plan for breaking the law not breaking the law and yet they're still doing things like worrying about the prime minister holding a coffee cup he spent the last three days asking questions about whether he's sexually assaulted someone but whether or not he holds a coffee cup seems to be kind of coffee up that's the problem isn't it because it's not biodegradable they're all suddenly terrified that his new green credentials (laughs) and carrie simmons his girlfriend's going to be furious so that that might be that maybe that's the bigger maybe that's the bigger clue yeah that that carries influence on being green it matters matters more Um, i i look i do understand that the idea of relief you know that they've they've got a leader that they are behind in a way that hasn't been the case for quite a long time they are putting up a fight rather than cringing all that kind of stuff i can see why that's thrilling if you're an mp or a delegate or a party loyalist i can i can get that but these people are supposed to be grown-ups you know these people are supposed to have ideas about what's actually supposed to happen to the country and it's just so it's just so childish it's just so unprofessional what is going to be easy for the people at the conference here is to go back and sell this to the rest of their party in their constituencies just because having been out and about and actually I went to a Brexit party rally in Devon you could see that this no deal Brexit would sell in certain areas in the country and that people really are fed up and I think that's what some of the people and the delegates here really want they want to have something they can sell on the doorstep and this seems pretty easy for them to sell if they can get a no deal. I mean I I feel like I'm losing my mind a little bit but they don't have a policy of a no-deal Brexit. They have a policy that they're going to get a deal, they just don't know how to do it. They also don't know how they're going to do a no-deal Brexit. There's nothing to sell. There's just some... I mean, there's, there's no thing. There's no policy. There's no, like, this is, what, there's no, this is what we're going to do that you can even go and sell. I'll second the idea that you might be losing your mind. The, um, <laughs> the, 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 they, do, they have made a choice, right, which is uh, if they do not get a deal, they will not extend, right? And but they, but that's not a choice I know they, they can't do, that's, I, agree, I agree with you about that. But, and that's, that's and like that, choosing that, to go out with Kate Moss. But they, <laughs> but they, they do think uh, they, they've been given the impression they can do it, which I think actually is a false impression because I think it'd be very hard to do because they don't have a parliamentary majority for it. But underneath it, they have made a choice for no deal over no Brexit, right? And that is, and that is actually, um, and they and they are in sharp distinction from the Labour Party's position, a second referendum, Liberal Democrats revoke, and um, they represent a large slice of the population, and those things together of course produce morale i agree with you that the the problem of not having a parliamentary majority and therefore not being able to implement this policy is more than a small detail um uh, uh, but but it's but it doesn't make it but people do like the feeling that they're 
going with their instinct and that the leadership supports their instinct and they're trying to achieve a policy that they believe in. Now, I think the trouble with them is going to be when they, when they do hit up against the reality that it may not be possible to achieve it because they don't have control of the courts and they don't have control of the uh, parliamentary majority, then it well, that's exactly what I'm arguing. I think at that point they could have, you know, you talked about psychology, the equivalent of a nervous breakdown on the right, and you could get a split. And I think that is really very likely. OK, so that's the Tory party covered. Uh, I think we've completely sorted out Brexit. Let's talk about um, the Prime Minister in particular and his own personal reputation has been called into question. This is Alice Thompson. The Spectator is a respectable magazine, says the Boris character in the play Who's the Daddy? I'm not presiding over a bordello. From now on, it's the temple of purity and restraint. I declare this office is going to be a nookie-free zone. The two scriptwriters, Lloyd Evans and Toby Young, should have known. They were the publication's theatre critics. The spectator world that the journalist Charlotte Edwards describes this weekend was sex-obsessed and it wasn't just the men. The Georgian townhouse in Bloomsbury looked like few other offices and didn't act like one either. When I was their restaurant reviewer, my husband worked there in the 1990s. Frank Johnson, then editor, was more interested in ballet, but it was the publisher, Kimberly Fortier, who was having a clandestine affair with the then cabinet minister, David Blunkett, while allegedly enjoying the attentions of the wine editor, Simon Hoggart. The drinking started at midday. There were long lunches with guests and sofas for naps. Everyone would decamp for cultural weekends to Barcelona or Budapest. But although there was absolutely no excuse for wandering hands, in some ways politics in the media was a less dangerous, scary place for women than it is now. So, Alice, given that you were at The Spectator at the time, were you surprised by the piece that Charlotte wrote, Charlotte Edwards wrote in The Sunday Times about how Boris Johnson allegedly groped her thigh under the table at dinner? I wasn't really surprised at all just because so much was going on at The Spectator at that time and so many people were doing different things and it was a very different atmosphere from many offices around the country probably. But um, it's difficult to know because so in so many interviews it's just Boris Johnson's word against Charlotte Edwards' words and it then becomes a slanging match in the end. He looks rather unshiverous for um, constantly denying it but also inferring that she's making it all up and she she sounds worried but then there's always that sense that oh journalists want a good story so it's incredibly difficult the big difference with what's happened the past couple of days to these previous stories about Boris Johnson is he started commenting on them he has actually said that's not true that bit's not true that feels like that potentially because his previous position has been just to refuse point blank ever to discuss anything about his private life do you think that changes for it I think it does slightly I think if you look at the polls at the moment he's doing really badly with women and he's hemorrhaging votes among female voters and I think that's going to really worry him and I think he's probably been told that he has to tone down his language and also that women are worried that he's honest so he's got to sound like he's being honest he's got to refute some of these allegations he can't just dismiss them as if they weren't really relevant and weren't even worthwhile commenting on so I think yes he probably has been told to change in that way I'm not sure he likes it he's never really enjoyed talking about his private life on any level at all in fact he always gets furious if he's asked to comment on it for obvious reasons (laughs) Hugo yeah so I, what I find strange about this story is I um I was a columnist for the Spectator for I think twelve years and I, I never had so much <laughs> I never had so much as a lusty glance. Admittedly, Boris wasn't the editor by the time I, I got there, and also I'm not sure I'm his type. In your day, but, um, it sounds like the one day a magazine came out at all. Yes, well, Frank Johnson actually was a sort of model of propriety actually when he was doing it and was very into ballet and football and taking everyone on cultural trips. But there was quite a lot going on there. I mean, I. <laughs> I think it did, it got more frenetic when Boris Johnson became editor. I very nearly went as his deputy, actually, and then in the end stayed at the Telegraph. But um, when Petronella Wyatt and him were together, I think they, you know, that, that it did spiral into quite an extraordinary 
place in a way. And there was always a bottle of champagne open and there were always lunches and um, dinners. And it, it was very, very social. And there were some extremely good people there who got the magazine out. I'm not sure that was always Boris. I mean, it is, um, it is sort of remarkable. You look back to this time and the Boris has chosen to respond to this by saying, no, it's not true. No, it didn't happen. You'd think that was a risky stance. Charlotte Edwards is uh, does not seem to be in doubt about her story. Uh, you'd imagine that somebody who behaves like that once will behave like that quite a lot. So you think it's quite a re- yeah, it's quite a risky thing to say no, this has never happened. You wonder kind of what what rolls out next. Now the obvious thing, Danny, with this story is that people just draw, draw it as another comparison with Donald Trump. People went through all this with Donald Trump. Yeah. And it made no difference to his poll ratings. If anything, it appealed That's to a true. certain type of person. So does, well, does this matter? I'm not sure, because we don't live in the United States. And actually, uh, also, that incident nearly nearly brought Donald Trump down. And although he won the presidential election, he did lose the popular vote, and he nearly lost the presidential election in circumstances in which a Republican candidate should ordinarily have won it. So I don't actually buy the, the idea that it was totally not damaging to him. I think it was. Um, Funny enough, Alice, I also uh, nearly went to the spectator. I had lunch with Boris to discuss it, although it was completely platonic. Um, the, uh, I think I would have, from everything that you've said, I would think I would have been a most unsuitable employee. Um, completely platonic too, just to have that. I don't make it. Nobody's I, ever invited me for lunch at the spectator. But I, but I, but I think it's very important when we talk about personal allegations that there is a big gulf between the other things that are said about Boris Johnson and this because the other things were all about consensual relationships and this was about unwanted uh, you know, sexual touching uh, and that's actually very serious um, I'm, I can, I can, I'm not surprised he's tried to deny it I don't know how many of the rest of us thought that denial was all that convincing um, I think Hugo's right that, and I think that will be interesting to see normally if somebody does that as a technique um, it, to use the horrible word for a horrible act um, then they'll have done it more than once and um, I mean you know her allegation after all is he did it twice yeah. the same lunch so the uh, the interesting uh, then somebody else will talk and so we'll become you know and it's it's interesting that they haven't actually but it but it's but it, I don't suppose that will last so I think this will cause him a constant problem and it's right that it should because you can't behave like that there's also the problem with jennifer curry because that's not just an issue of of them having an affair it's an issue of her maybe then getting money for her company and accompanying him on trips so if there was anything that was more than just a friendship that does look quite difficult and quite tricky for boris johnson in a way that previous affairs were his concern and we don't know about any money changing hands in the same way it, it's very yes, absolutely. It's, it's very uh, to go back to Charlotte Edwards for a minute. It's very interesting the way she wrote that column. Normally, when people come out with with Me Too type allegations, there is an element of trauma there. She didn't. I, I, would, I would I would never venture to suggest I can know what she's thinking, but she didn't write it in those terms. She wrote about this is a thing. This is the thing that happened. It just did. There, there, there was no, there was no like, and now I'm finally speaking out. There was none of that at all. It was it seemed a very straight recollection of events, which both makes it sound rather run of the mill for the time, and also quite likely. Which I'm yeah, which sort of, I don't know, just just kind of sort of sticks with me. The the, the other the other story with 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 his his uh, his pole, ta- pole dancing IT instructor 
you're quite right. I mean, it's almost in a way that the salacious aspects of it that are frankly so much fun to talk about overshadow the fact that really this is a story about an allegation of quite serious corruption. And that, that uh, you, you know, you follow the money in the end, that, that potentially has more chance of damaging him in the long term. There is an actual investigation, you know, there'll be a report and inquiry and all that sort of thing. That's, that yeah. has the potential to cause long-term damage. In the end, given everything that's going on with Brexit and whatever, does this, we demand so much more now of people trying to follow what's going on in politics. Does this just get lost in the melee of it all, do you think, Danny? Well, it might do. And in fact, obviously, when the first story about Jennifer O'Curry came out and I, I looked at it and I thought, God, that is actually quite serious. There's, a, you know, depth of allegations in here. Um, but on that day, Andrew Fisher had resigned and it wasn't even the lead story in the paper mm. that it ran in. Um, so uh, I, I think it is potentially it's got a, a long fuse. And one of the problems is the things that you say... Uh, along the way to try to diffuse it. The people you talk to when you try to get people not to say anything uh, you know that that uh, famously uh, with Nixon's case it was the cover up that got him and um, it's possible that this will in order to keep this quiet uh, people will end up doing things that they think are unwise or regret but you can't be sure of this because you can't at the, at the end we're still at the age, end of contested allegations they did look quite strong when you read them didn't they but they um, you know let's see I'm sure we will see but I'll come back to that in the future after the break we'll talk about a Tory MP who thought it would be a good idea to dress up as James Brown we'll be back after this short break Yes, I mean, every, every, every last bit about this story is astonishing. The, the, look, the Trudeau story itself is astonishing. What keeps getting me about the Trudeau story is the fact that he's been Prime Minister of Canada for ages. And I keep thinking, is it like 
you know like when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're a bit stressed about something you wake up at three o'clock in the morning you're like what am i worried about what am i worried about and he must have been doing that for like six <laughs> years what am i worried about oh yes my repeated habit of wearing blackface at parties of which there are many photographs and now i'm the liberal prime minister of canada um you know and he, and he must have lived like that for years and then it came out and it's it's it is what he will be remembered for it has probably ruined him the fact that then after that last week with everything that was going on last week so Desmond Swain goes, you know what I'll do? I'll blog about the time I did that is just just the most astonishing thing. It's also astonishing that we now have a Conservative Party run by people, a Prime Minister, who doesn't immediately jump on that and go, right, you are out. There is not... I mean, Theresa May would have kicked him out. David Cameron would certainly have kicked him out. It's feasible John Major would have kicked him out. It's an incredibly offensive thing to do. You can look at the, you can look at the Trudeau thing, and you can say, oh, different time, different culture. I don't know about that. I think if I heard about a senior politician who was perhaps had a repeated habit of dressing as a Hasidic Jew at parties because he thought it was funny, I might get the hump a bit. So uh, even, even if it happened in the 1990s. So I, I don't know about this different time thing. Desmond Swain is not talking about a different time. He's saying he did it now, and it was fine, and it was funny, and come and have a go. And... Uh, I mean, the, the, the Prime Minister should sack him. It is not an acceptable way for a member of his party to behave or speak. I agree totally. What I found difficult as well is that we were all sitting here in Britain going, well, actually, that just doesn't really happen at parties. I just, I don't, I've never been to a party when someone felt they had to black out. I, can't, I couldn't understand why you'd want to do it and also just the length you'd go to to do it, that it must be so unbelievable. You have to think about it really, really hard if you wanted to do it. You're, you're thinking about the amount of just effort the, the the practicalities of the about makeup practicalities you couldn't just do this on a whim that's what's so appalling is you have to really think hard and you must know that it's the wrong thing to do i mean you must have known for i mean a good 30 40 years it was the wrong thing to do so it, it's extraordinary that you can actually advertise that you've done it and we were all sitting there thinking it didn't happen in britain really this is some bizarre thing that was going on in canada and america and that we really, we'd escaped it. it was one issue we didn't have to talk about over here and now suddenly not only do we have Trump tactics, but we also have the worst of Trudeau, which seems deeply depressing to me. Danny, there is something about the way that Desmond Swain wasn't saying, I did this once and I now too realise that this was the wrong thing to do. You know, there's something really odd about a Tory MP volunteering this. Yeah, let's concentrate on that because I don't, I completely agree with you, Gobi, just not to repeat what you've said, but I don't disagree with you at all. Uh, Just to concentrate on this issue of him actually boasting about it so what he's making here is actually a political statement about um about our sensibilities in a multicultural society and he's saying uh i don't think this is wrong um and you are um being you know your political correctness gone mad and it's very and i i add to hugo's frustration my own frustration of having having been everything that i've been trying to argue against for the last 20 years in politics and everything i've been trying to stop in the you know on the right and center right um so i think it is depressing that people are complacent about it and are not moving to do something about it Uh, i know the political situation is sensitive at the moment with members of numbers of members of parliament it's never so sensitive that you can't do the right thing Uh, and i do think um that the conservative party has to make clear that it doesn't agree with desmond swain in the judgment that he's made as well as the issues that you raise about racism and um it's also a question of whether it associates itself with his political statement which is you're wrong about uh 
people are wrong to be upset about blackface. They're wrong uh, to think that uh, we have to be careful in a multicultural society about other people's sensibilities. Those things um, are important for the Conservative body to state that it disagrees with. So in addition to the, quest- the basic offensiveness, there's also a question of disagreement with his political statement. I, absolutely. I mean, the, the things that people have done in the past... Can, can matter in some way and can, mat- can not matter in other ways. Many people, in, including me, I'm sure, have things they're ashamed of that, they've, that they did 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. I mean, you know, John Burko, for God's sake, was a member of the Monday Club, which, which, which favoured repatriating immigrants, you know. But he, that is something that he now, his political persona now addresses, owns, deals with. You can either accept that or not, but at least he tries to do. The, I, I quite agree with Danny. The, the important thing with Desmond Swain is that he now, that it, there, is, there is no sorrow, there's no regret. There's a defence of that from a Prime Minister who himself let's be honest in the popular mind has a degree of 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 race issues going on there why is i know there's a lot on but deal with it (laughs) i mean he literally says uh i once went to a blues brothers themed fancy dress party as james brown i went to some trouble to be as authentic as possible i can assure readers this column that i have no intention of apologizing sort of volunteer inflammatory that's what's so extraordinary is that like she's just going out there he wants to cause an argument he wants to have a fight that's what's so appalling is it's a sense that it's bring it on it's a kind of and it's almost titillation it's like here i am what do you think it's your problem not mine which is so completely the wrong way around you you can make a political judgment um that these sorts of things will go away and I, uh, one of the reasons I know that you can is because when I worked with William Hague when we were before the aid area he, uh, he didn't yeah sorry he didn't no up. no no this is not the point but there was there was um and i've now forgotten the guy's name but there was an incident uh, also involving sort of racism of a conservative mp and we had to make a decision about whether if you tried to sack him as an mp you'd make the situation worse people would come to his defense you'd expand and we took that judgment and it was wrong right, right? i learned a lesson you know you learn a lesson uh, it was the wrong thing to do in sort of in theory as well but it turned out to be the wrong thing to do in practice and i suspect that actually the judgment they've made is look this isn't going to break this isn't breaking through uh, it's not making a big issue probably we if we deal with it we'll make it get worse mm-hmm. you get the streisand effect you know you talk and then uh, you sue someone and they you, the whole thing becomes uh, bigger than it was before and and my experience of doing that is not only do you feel uncomfortably that you've done the wrong thing but it doesn't work it's a mistake um and it actually becomes bigger as a result of you not acting and if you don't act swiftly enough you then have to own the period in which you didn't act um so it makes it worse so i think that's probably why they're not moving on it because they think well we maybe we don't have to because people aren't really talking about it and if we do everyone will jump in then what do we say if 30 people say it's all right and then what do we do with them but that's still a mistake because if you act strongly, they won't. That won't happen, and you won't be in that position. And as you were saying at the beginning, you done properly. A strong, a, a good leader can make any decision they make look like the strong decision. Correctly. Yeah. And I think, and I, you know, I also my other principle is when you're as a political advisor especially after a bit of work in it early, there was uh, you never go wrong telling someone to do the right thing. But if you do that, it, it works much more often than you think. If you start to take into account every nuance of it, you soon find yourself lost in a thicket. Uh, and um, so I think if they are making a judgment over this that involves much more than considering whether they think that Desmond Swain's act or his profession of that act is, is a good thing, then they're making what will turn out to be not merely a question of whether it's a moral error, but will turn out to be a political error. 
I mean, it, it's worth drilling down into the exact politics of what Swain is, is doing at the moment. Because what he's, in doing this, he's not trying to be racist. What he's trying to do is wind up liberal white people. That in itself is a fairly inflammatory thing for, for, for a Tory MP to be doing at the moment. But he's doing that in a way that just has zero interest at all in the offence it would or may cause to ethnic minorities. He's literally saying their concerns don't matter so he can wind up, let's be honest, people like me. Um, <laughs> and, um, and uh, yeah, as, as we said, that's, that's, either, that's either something that the Prime not, Minister endor- by the way, endorses or doesn't. Absolutely, absolutely. He's but not. just because he succeeded doesn't mean to say we shouldn't do it. Yeah, I mean, what, 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 sort, of per- mean- what sort of person would I be if he hadn't succeeded? And, and he's not some sort of fringe oddball. He was the Prime Minister's PPS for some time. He, would wor- he was working in Downing Street. Although, yes, I mean, although obviously his, his job was to ensure that the Prime Minister was kept in touch with fringe oddballs. So it, it doesn't, it wasn't actually. I mean, you know, in, in other words, he was never sort of, um, he's always been a, an outlier. Um, but there's a lot of people who agree with him on the right of the country he's got a knighthood. Uh, and the, he was given a knighthood for his service yeah, you know. absolutely so he, he, he but you can't the Conservative Party if it wants to keep progressing and it wants to keep expanding it's got a very big problem with ethnic minority voters and it's easy to understand why if it sits by while this sort of thing happens and as I say the crucial thing politically here is the statement being made alongside the act right so you can't maybe you can just sort of be complacent about the act and dismiss it as an aberration but you can't be complacent about the political statement and actually Hugo's quite right what what sort of a policy is that uh, annoying liberal white people if you don't have the votes of liberal white people there are a lot of liberal white people in this country well the fact that nothing has happened and probably nothing will happen is we can add to the long list of things which are quite depressing about the state of British politics and this party conference there's only one good thing that's happened and you haven't talked about it which is you're getting a dog well, well, uh, there is a... It's th- broadcast now, Matt. Yes, you exactly. A dog. Yeah. The, Chor- the Chorley family have been looking for a dog. The guide dogs have got a stand here at the conference. They've got three dogs that you can stroke and talk to. And one of them can't be a guide dog because he's got something wrong with his own eyes. And This I- sounds like one of Jeremy Corbyn's answers to Andrew <laughs> Marr on Brexit. I've, got an e- I've had an email from a blind dog. <laughs> and, and this poor dog is currently being kept in a sort of kennels waiting to be uh, adopted. And my wife has got very excited. And if I don't come back from the toy party conference with a wheelie suitcase and a dog on a lead, she'll be very disappointed. When you say this dog's got something wrong with its eyes, are you going to be the guide dog's guide dog? <laughs> I think it just needs some drops or something. It's not, okay. it's not literally a blind dog. Leading the lead. Yes, no, that's not um, how it works. Are we all dog people? I'm very much a dog person. Here we go. I have a dog. I have a schnauzer called Ziggy. Danny? Uh, I'm a cat, which doesn't oh. bark when the doorbell rings. See, I used to like you, Danny, but now I'm not so sure. Boris has a dog as well, which now makes me slightly irritated because... I know, that's not a real dog, though, is it? That was a PR stunt dog. I think it is a real dog, Matt. <laughs> It was animatronic. <laughs> it's like the new Lion King film. It was all just done with computers. It's just very realistic. Anyway, that's enough of that silliness. My huge thanks to uh, Danny, Hugo and Alice. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen. And you can sign up to my morning email at thetimes.co.uk forward slash red box. But from a slightly flat... Well, I think it's slightly flat. Hugo thought it was exhilarating or something. Uh, <laughs> from an utterly typical Tory party conference in Manchester, for me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye.
This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.